Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Andy Simon on the line. Andy, how are you? Oh, I'm just wonderful. How are you, Michael? I am awesome. I'm vertical. That's always a good way to be, uh, especially during times of the pandemics and whatnot. So I've been looking forward to this interview for a bit of time now. So let's, let's dive in. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and the work that you're doing. So my name is Andy Simon. I'm a corporate anthropologist, a doctorate, and I am an expert in helping organizations and the people inside them change. And um, I've had a background in both academics and in business. I was EVP of a bank and SVP of another bank and in healthcare during change. But what I learned is that people, humans, hate to change. And if nothing else, a little anthropology might help them step back and see things through a fresh lens. And as they do, you'd be amazed how their brain goes from fighting and resisting the changes to embracing them and saying, oh, that's right here. So I would say the way forward is all around you if only you can see it. And our job has been to help people do just that. So I'm an author, an award-winning author of a book called On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights. And I'm a podcaster like yourself, and I totally enjoy sharing on podcasts through video and audio how people can help others change. And humans really do hate to change. They love the idea, but they hate to do it. So that's who I am. Change is a dirty word to a lot of people. And <laughs> I, I see it all the time when I advise people to, and I even use the word adjustment. I don't even bring in the word change because they hear that word and they automatically just tense up. And so you make some minor adjustments here and there. And they're like, okay, I can do that. And I, I'm with you on that. It's so many people are afraid of it because they think it's this big job. And for some people, it might be. It might be really transformational for them to go through the work because they have to look within and sometimes people are afraid to look within because you know we're our own worst enemies in many ways and especially now during this pandemic where we do have an opportunity to make some adjustments or changes in our lives that could make us better off once we get to the next normal so many people feel paralyzed and they don't want to take the necessary steps that they need to do in order to get to the goals and the things that they want in life. Well, you know, it's not personal. The brain hates it because that's how we've protected ourselves to survive. And our cultures and the stories we share are really our conversations are our reality. The way the brain works is it takes data and forms a story about it. And once you have that story, you think that's reality. It's just a perception of it. And you're always the hero in that story. So you only see the things that affirm what you believe to be true. And the line I like to say is the only truth is there's no truth. But once you have that wonderful perception of reality, your brain is very happy keeping it, even if everything around you has changed and it's no longer relevant. And so now the question is, how do I get you to change your story? And how do you visualize a new you or a new business and really come to grips with the changes that are taking place? I often tell my clients, think of this as a play. You really know Hamlet very well, but tomorrow we have to play Macbeth. What would you do? You'd find the script or you'd write the script. And then you begin to rehearse the script. And then you'd have a director to help you figure out where to stand on stage. 
Well, we're trying to do that today in a moment. You know, I used to say, if you want to change, have a crisis or create one. Little did I know COVID was going to give me my crisis. And I tell people, don't waste the crisis because I have clients who say, I've been trying to do something for three years and all of a sudden I can do it. Or I wanted to go after that market and I can't tell you how easy it is now because everybody is unsettled and unsure and all the certainty that we want to protect ourselves is gone. And so in uncertainty, you know, don't waste a crisis. And so as we help companies change, to your point, they do resist until they realize maybe this is a crisis that you have to address. Now the question is, what's the new script and how do I play it? And I I appreciate that humans resist because it's scary. You know, what will I fail? Will I have my job? How do I do this? Will my business grow? All the uncertainties. But yesterday isn't tomorrow. And we are futurists. You know, our podcast was ranked in the top 20 futurist podcasts, but humans are all futurists. We have to see tomorrow to live today. And that's what we begin to help them do. So as your listeners are listening in, think about the story you believe to be your truth and what are you going to have to do to change it and then change it, manage your mind. So it's exciting times for us. We're having a great time, lots of customers and lots of interesting work to do. It's amazing work. And I think, and I tell people this a lot, uh, we have this opportunity right now to change things and design. I love the, the play analogy. It's like design your life, design your organization. Organizations now are going, okay, we have this period of time that we're not rushing. Some organizations are, they seem to be busier than ever because they're scrambling to try to figure out what to do. And it, it often looks and feels like square peg and round hole type of activities and it's not working for them. Uh, but instead of just saying, okay, what would we like this to look like? Where are we now? Let's connect the dots and, and give that opportunity to your people and your organization. And when you do that, some great things happen. We, we go back to the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009, and we think about all the innovation that took place back then. I'm hopeful that we start seeing the same things now where there's organizations that we're not seeing at this moment that are creating things that in the next five to 10 years are going to be just normal, typical things that we use in our lives that make our lives easier to do things that we want to do. It, it is so interesting because higher ed, my higher ed clients resisted going to remote learning until then in a weekend. My friend who's a college president said all the resistors became advocates and in a weekend we all went to remote learning. I'm not sure what we're going to do with the campus. The second one is um, online learning for homeschoolers and my even my granddaughter has decided she'd rather do her learning at home, remote learning, instead of going to the middle school. That never would have happened before. And then the third is in healthcare. I mean, I've got healthcare clients who weren't quite sure how to do telemedicine and hated the idea of it. And some of the most innovative people were simply saying, do telemedicine. And in a weekend, we brought our clients up on it. Three days later, the doctors who hated it loved it. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, having worked in healthcare for over a decade, I know that resistance. And I know in Toronto, Ontario, you know, one of the places that I'm based out of, for the longest time, there was a lot of pressure to move to more of a telemedicine thing. But the Ontario government wasn't funding it properly for physicians to make it worth their while for one. And two, there was also that uncertainty and change. Well, a pandemic hit. 
it's amazing how <laughs> legislation can get passed really quick. And the next thing you know, physicians were being properly compensated for the work that they do in a telemedicine sort of way. And it took off. And now patients love it. They're like, I can use my phone and have a consult with my physician on time. I don't have to sit in a waiting room with other people that are coughing and sneezing and everything else. I, I address my situation. They say, yep, here's this. Okay, I'm going to send you a prescription. They send it over to the pharmacist that's convenient for them. They go pick it up where they might be able to have it delivered. Yep. It's limiting exposure to different people, but they're still getting the health care that they need in an efficient way. And it, it opens the door for more efficiency, but also um, increases access because now we can start thinking in a grander scale of, especially in rural communities, for example. And that was one of the challenges that I faced early on in my healthcare career was recruiting physicians to an area that wasn't necessarily a popular area for physicians to go to. Now with virtual care, those people in those communities will get access to care yeah, the doctor may not physically be in that area, but they're still going to get the care that they need. So all of a sudden, access to care increases. The health of people get better, uh, ultimately, and uh, it just it takes things to the next scale. It's just using technology that we have today yes. and using it. And you, you said it in the beginning, and kind of the theme of our conversation is there was resistance to change. It was ready to go. There was resistance until basically the door of how we were doing it was closed. We can't go in that door right now. So it's like, well, in order for us to continue operations, we're going to have to go this way. And the college situation where they're like, okay, what do we do with this campus? <laughs> it's true. Well, you think about that. You, you think of huge colleges and universities. I mean, they've got acres and acres and miles of property if it goes to a virtual environment and all of a sudden you're going what are we going to do with all of this and i mean some of those buildings are going to be historical so they're not going to be able to do a lot with them or repurpose them for other purposes uh, but it's going to be an interesting and i i look at it i mean i know i'm not diminishing what's going on with the deaths and loss of life and everything like this but I look at this situation as an opportunity to do things better. And we have that opportunity and chance to do that with, with what's going on right now. The interesting part, uh, Milton Friedman once said that change is, comes in little dots until all of a sudden it explodes. And I hear that all the time. You know, it's a little change, a little change, and then you're off a cliff and, and you're flying in a whole new way. The um, accelerator here has been this crisis. And one of the things that I'm finding is that generational differences and gender differences are coming through well, quite profoundly. And uh, so I had uh, one client where the elders who were the board and so forth could not understand why the juniors all had very different work-life balance, different ways of using technology, different ideas about how to grow the business, and the intergenerational challenges for the CEO were profound because they spoke different languages. It was as if they lived different lives. Uh, one was heavy into um, video games, and the other had no idea what that was. <laughs> one used to play baseball, and the other bats, uh, you know, bets on it. It's, it's a very interesting challenge. And then we have the gender differences. And for women who, you know, 40% of the uh, businesses were owned and run by women before the pandemic. And a huge percentage of those were by women of color. 
who often were building very successful businesses. Some were, you know, necessity businesses, but there's a huge influx of women with different talent and attitude about how are we going to blend this work-life balance. And some of my clients that I've been coaching, first I had to get the husband off the couch from watching his games so he could take care of the kids who were fighting while she took care of her finance stuff for her company. It was interesting to watch the dynamics. And then slowly she... I was able to change that relationship and build a far more exciting one to the point where they were going to go buy a boat they've been fighting about for three years and they're having great fun together in a different way. And you hear about the negatives, the abuse, but I'm hearing a lot of positives with transformations, both about work-life balance, but also about husband-wife, who's leading and who's following, uh, who's got the ideas, who's going to work in different ways. It's a very profound moment for us. We're to use my book's title, we're on the brink of a really new way of seeing what we can do and how we can do it and what's good or what's bad. And the things that we thought were good may not be so good. And I don't know what they're going to do with all that office space. I have a client who built a new office and all his accountants won't come back. They're all happy working at home. And they said, why do I have to drive two hours? I get more done in less time and I'm more efficient. I'm not sure I want to go back. So there are some big changes coming. Huge and definitely in the commercial real estate space because the cat's out of the back. People have proven for the last six plus months that they can get the work done without physically going somewhere. And from an organization standpoint, you look at new cost savings. Um, Of course, initially there may be some challenges with getting out of leases and whatnot. But I, I think at the end of the day, how work looks is going to be different and that's a good thing um mm-hmm. you, you mentioned before you know someone that you know plays video games to the other person that you know does has never played a video game <laughs> or, or played on or played on an atari 2600 or an intellivision <laughs> so oh, rem- oh i had those yes i went through many <laughs> joysticks on the atari but we think about this right now in the workforce there are four generations at least right now, we've got you know the baby boomers, Gen X, the millennials, and, and Gen the Z. Z's. And in a short period of time, the generation after the Zs are going to be in the workforce. And because people are living longer, they there may still be you know, baby boomer generation in the workforce, or they should at least be around in advisory roles. And I implore organizations, I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a moment, please, please utilize the expertise of people that have been in the workforce for a long time. They see things that us younger generations won't see because we've only based on the experience of what we've had and looking at the longitude of that experience is amazing so do not diminish that so i'm going to get off my soapbox now for that Uh, but at the end of the day we've got the diversity of the different ages but we also have the diversity of gender and race that brings new skill sets to the workforce that can make organizations richer. And I'm not just talking from a financial standpoint, I'm talking about from a culture standpoint and doing things and being more cognizant of what's going on in the world instead of just being the PNL statement as how we operate our business. Like what are we doing in this world to make an impact to the people that we serve? And it's exciting to see what's happened. And it's also exciting to see of what's going to happen now that We've got this, I don't want to call it a clean slate, but we have this opportunity to 
really make things better for society uh, in every aspect of life. Uh, and I think this period of time that we've been in this pandemic will hopefully create some opportunities for people to carry that forward. Well, the idea of a triple bottom line, I find extremely compelling. And I'm watching as people are struggling with this, it's uh, very interesting to watch which ones can keep it in the front of their thinking and which ones are letting it drop by. It's the same thing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, things that we say don't mean we do. And both of those are sidebars to profit and loss. And, and unless a board... And the board really does need to have a diversity of people on it, both people of color and, um, and men and women, because the cognitive diversity, as well as the perspectives they bring, make better businesses. And all the research is showing that businesses that have more gender diversity and ethnic diversity, racial diversity, do better. And the logic would say, huh, how do I capitalize on that uh, and really and, and build it? Um, but you did say something important, and that's about a boomers. Um, many of the boomers have lost their retirement, and it's, uh, they have businesses, 67% in the U.S., 67% of the businesses were owned by boomers. There's, on the one hand, tremendous wealth, but it's caught up there. And the other hand, what am I going to do with that business? How am I going to value it? How am I going to sell it? How am I going to pass it on to the next generation? Will there be one? These are profound questions. So to your point of not losing the talent, they in turn can't lose the jobs. And often they are unclear. This next phase is unclear to them. Um, they prepared well to grow the business and they prepared well to be successful. Um, and they're now prepared for nothing. They're not quite sure who will buy it, who will I sell it, do I do roll-ups? Some businesses I've been working with have lost their customers to roll-ups. Next thing you know, the great customers they had were bought out, and the new customer doesn't want to buy them. And so there are all kinds of changes going on at micro levels, not just at macro levels. Uh, and they require some agility and ingenuity. So that, you know, as you're thinking about the different generations, and the other part is that Gen Zs have an eight-second attention span. You know, they're used to do-overs. They're avatars. They've lived life vicariously. It's very interesting to work with them because they think world's a game and they can win or lose and do it again. <laughs> and, and the accountability part mm, doesn't much matter the way it used to. So there's some interesting uh, transformations that are coming on. They've grown up digital. And uh, the boomers can be very digital and very um, sensitive to the new technology, but it's not as intuitive as it is to the younger ones. So it's interesting to watch. It's it's definitely and especially in a leadership roles, you know, leading people from the different uh, generations is um, for the strong leaders. They can pivot and and meet the needs of everybody because they can relate to them. They may not completely understand, but they can relate and and speak to them in a language that everyone understands. But yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic uh, in organizations, especially larger ones that have such a diverse uh, makeup of the organization. And, and I, I agree, I think it's gonna be really intriguing over the next you know, couple decades to see how things are reshaped uh, from what work looks like, where we work, how we work, what are we working on. And uh, it's, it's an exciting time to be alive for sure because uh, it's, there's, the rate of change that we see is so much faster than it was even 
10 years ago. It, it's, it's insane on, on the rapid amount of shifts and changes. And it's, um, it's, it's definitely keeping the legal community busy because we got to get laws to match up with what things <laughs> and, and And of course, there's, it, it ends up happening where the laws get created after the fact. And yeah, it, it's so, but that's a negative way to look at it. But the positive way is the innovation and you know, making uh, life and work better for everyone. It's, it's yep. definitely an excited time. One tool I would love to add to your listeners' toolkit is the work of Judith Glazer in the We Institute. And if you're not familiar with it, um, Judith passed away about a year ago, and I, uh, she was an organizational anthropologist, and she began to understand the neurosciences and how it applied to our lives. And uh, she basically preached that we are always in conversations like you and I are. That's our, that's the, our life. It's conversational. Once you become to realize that, then whether it's generational differences or it's racial differences or gender differences, we may say the same words, but they have different meanings. And that becomes an interesting opportunity to think about the conversation from an I or a we perspective. Because if we talk about it that I need you to do this and I think this, the conversation turns into an adversarial one and your amygdala begins to hijack it. And regardless of what you're telling me to do, I resist it, I flee it, I fear it, I appease it, but I don't really want to hear about it. If you begin to talk about what we can do, that wonderful brain of ours begins to see this as a co-creation where I'm engaged and next thing you know, we have a lot more trust and we can really achieve it. And so part of my preaching is if we begin to change communication around what will work to build we's instead of I's, um, leaders can lead multi-generations and all kinds of diverse organizations talking and listening different. And the other side of conversations, how do you hear? And as I watch us doing this conversation, I am, I'm, I'm deliberately listening to what you're saying to see how to add to it, as opposed to thinking about what I was going to talk about. I, I must tell you, listening is an art and a skill that people don't have a lot of. It's easier to jump to the hear what you thought I said, but that wasn't what I said, and that's not what I meant. So it becomes a very uh, complicated but easy approach to improving those societies and the culture and the businesses and uh, even the home or the, the church you belong to or the not-for-profit you love to do, think about the conversations, listen for a while, and it will enlighten you as to what's working and what's not. So it's cool stuff. Well, if you know that it says two ears, one mouth, and use that ratio accordingly. So I, I, I forgot I, that. That's a great line. Yeah, I, I do. I do my best to do that. I'm not always good at it, but there are days where you know, I, I focus and go, "Okay, what what are they saying? Yes. Not just what they're saying, but what are they saying?" And and listen for the cues, the 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 fear, the worry, the apprehension, and all of the things, and and do your best to ease those concerns or meet them in a way that they, you know, feel more comfortable. And I love what you said about designing things with a we mentality because that keeps. I, I refer to the amygdala as Amy G, and <laughs> and Amy. I tell Amy G sometimes that she needs to shut up. And, 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 oh, I remember that. Yeah, it's, um, I'll tell my clients. Michael said the Amy G is really hijacking you, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell Amy just shh, be quiet. You know, go in the corner and let me 
let me handle this. So I've got this. Thank you. But, you know, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. So, Andy, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work that you're doing? What a nice question. So I have two websites. One is andysimon.com. And on there, you can find all you'd like about our book, the first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights. And our second book is coming out in January. It's called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. And it is so timely because we are rethinking the role of women, women as leaders. I'm almost thinking about my next book on the evolution of women as leaders because we are just changing. So that's coming next. But andysimon.com is there. And our business is simonassociates.net. And uh, on there, there's a bunch of tools you can use if you want to try a little anthropology, a bunch of videos that might help you as well learn how observational research, ethnographic, you can be your own ethnographer, just hang out for a while and see what people are doing and stop asking them, just listen to the stories they tell. Storytelling is how we share. And you can have all my contact information there. It's a pleasure to uh, get your inquiries. And I truly enjoy getting to know you when we do, because it's very important. These are changing times, as you mentioned. And unless you have a little tools to help you see, feel, and think in new ways, you don't really know how to change. That's awesome. And I'll definitely have all that in the show notes. So Andy, thank you so much for the work that you do and for your time today. Michael, it's been a pleasure to join you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.